Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. Um, I may only get chapter 9 done tonight. This Actually, chapter 9 of Daniel is the most interesting chapter probably now, prophetically, that we've done so far. And so I want to make sure I give it enough time to do it justice so if I don't get past chapter 9 tonight, then I guess we'll just have to deal with that. <laughs> but uh, I do want to make sure that, uh, that I cover it well because there is a couple of uh, real important concepts in it. And then last time I kind of ran out of time a little bit, you know, but uh, another real important concept in prophecy is this whole thing that I mentioned about the, the what I call the mountain look or the double fulfillment of prophecy, you know, where if you, it kind of works like this visually in the spirit, you know, if you see a mountain here, there's another mountain behind it with a greater fulfillment, taller mountain, and you look like this, you know, all you can see is the tops of the two mountains. You don't really see this gap in between, which is time. But this is a very common uh, biblical way that prophecy works. And if you remember Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that the, the natural world mirrors the way things are in God's spiritual realm. You know, 
that uh, his eternal power, power in Godhead are revealed through the things that are created. So a lot of times by looking at a natural illustration, you can get a spiritual truth. And so this whole idea of a double fulfillment of prophecy, and we'll see that again tonight. I, I really didn't get hardly time to finish it last time, but if you remember the, the little horn in the second vision last week, actually, you know, um, the revelation of the vision said it's, it's of the time of the end, but actually in that second vision, it, only, it ended with Greece, you know, and so Antiochus Epiphanes did come out of Greece, but yet the whole vision said it concerned the time of the end, so Antiochus Epiphanes is what would be called a foreshadowing of Antichrist, you know, and so oftentimes, and always remember that the second fulfillment is going to be greater than the first fulfillment, you know, so um, it's just like in the book of Acts, where, the, where it talks from the book of Joel, where it talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it says, in the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit in all flesh. Obviously, that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, but there will even be a greater fulfillment of that in a last great end times revival that is yet to come. And so that's, I just wanted you to see that, you know, in the first vision last week, we actually saw all four nations, you know, all four Gentile powers. But in the second vision, it really only showed Media, Persia, and Greece, the ram and the goat. And so uh, Antiochus Epiphanes came out of Greece, but yet, the vision said it talks about the time of the end. So it, it kind of, there was a literal fulfillment, you know, of that actually back in that day, but it foreshadows a greater fulfillment in the Antichrist. And so you have to understand Daniel, where he's coming from is he's concerned about his people. And so prophecy in the book of Daniel, and we'll see it again in chapter 11, well, s some of it deals with not too far away from where Daniel's living, but then there's always these greater fulfillments and end-time fulfillments, which, of course, you and I are interested in. So I just want you to really kind of understand that concept because that, that is an important concept. Um, just like, actually, the first and second coming of Christ, you know, uh, people, often a lot of the uh, Jews, they miss the whole idea of the first coming and the second coming. And uh, so there's a lot of that concept in Scripture, so I just wanted to kind of emphasize that a little bit so that... Um, uh, you, you could you could grab that, okay? All right, so let's go to chapter nine, and uh, we'll pick it up here. And I'm going to read this tonight out of the New International Version. It reads just a little bit easier um, than the King James or the New King James, and uh, so. Uh, Let's pray, though, as we get started, okay? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we are so awed by the beauty of your word, the fulfillment of your word. And Lord, we know you've given it to us to direct our lives in the ways that are right and the ways that are good. So once again tonight, I pray you bless each of us, bless my brothers and sisters that are here tonight. Give us revelation and understanding out of your word tonight. We know that, Lord, your word brings wisdom and understanding, and it also brings prophetic understanding of our times and what's going on, Lord, in the world. So we pray by your Holy Spirit that you'd help us to have light and understanding from your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Daniel chapter 9, we'll just read through it again, and then we will um, uh, go through it. All right, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, 
who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And very, very um, long and moving prayer here. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. That's really what comes. That's, those are two good words there. You ought to underline insight and understanding because that's what happens when we pray and also when we look in the word. 
As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an, ab an abomination that causes desolation, which, by the way, that's quoted by Jesus in Matthew 24 um, in reference to the end times, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So, a lot in that chapter. And um, let's kind of just go back to the beginning there. Now, um, uh, Darius, uh, son of Xerxes, this is about 539 B.C. Daniel is about 82 years old. At this point, remember, he went into captivity in 605 B.C., so, which was about 66 years before this time. So Jerusalem had been under captivity now um, for 66 um, years, first under Nebuchadnezzar with the Babylonians and now under the, um, under the Medes and the Persians. And I want you to notice what happened here. First of all, Daniel was reading the scriptures, you know, which is always a good thing to do. If you want to know what's going to happen in the world, you want direction for your life, you just, you need to read the scriptures. It's really, uh, you know, one of God's five purposes for us is discipleship or maturity. And the key, uh, the, a big part of that, the kind of the foundational key to that is the word of God. And so uh, it's impossible to grow as a Christian, just like you can't grow physically without food. You have to be fed the word of God. And so Daniel was um, in the word here, and he began to understand from the scriptures. Um, perhaps he was even seeking, you know, a prophetic picture of what might be in store for Israel. But as he was reading the prophet Jeremiah, and I'm not going to take time to go there tonight, but in Jeremiah 25, 11 to 12, and actually before that, there's a prophecy of Israel's disobedience, what will happen to them. And then in verses 11 and 12, it's decreed that their captivity would last for 70 years. So here's Daniel reading this, and they've been in captivity 66 years. And so he realizes that according, that prophetically, God has determined that he wants to end their captivity after 70 years. And... Um, it's interesting the position Daniel takes. He doesn't take, uh, oh, great, that's cool, man. That's going to happen in four years. 
You know, no, he doesn't take that position. See, he immediately sets himself to pray and to fast and to seek God. And this shows us the beautiful balance between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. I mean, God does decree certain sovereign things. He's got a plan or just certain things that he's just going to do it that way, whether we, you know, whether we like it or not, in a way. But we can choose sort of whether we want to be a part of that. And so Daniel chose to actively engage his will and to be involved and to pray over what he had read in the scriptures. And that's where, where man comes in. And, and every time you read the Bible, you'll always see that, that God wants a partnership with man. It's, he is sovereign, yes, but he's not going to do things without us. You know, in general, I mean, his full, the fullness of his plan is not going to unfold without the cooperation of people who decide to give him their hearts and to act in faith. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we see a beautiful picture of that here with Daniel. You know, he, see, he, he reads his prophecy in Jeremiah, but yet he actively involves himself, and he knows why they're in captivity, you know. He knows they're in captivity because of their sin. And remember how we said, really, that um, God originally wanted to reveal himself through Israel to the world. Well, they failed in that. God knew they would fail, you know. But anyway, because of that, though, that doesn't change the fact that because they disobeyed God, that's why they went into captivity, you know, and various things. You know, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 28, here's what's going to happen to you, you know, the chapter of the blessings and the curses. Here's what's going to happen to you if you don't follow God, if you don't listen to God. And, of course, it all happened. And so Daniel, in seeing God's plan to bring them out of captivity, he knew, he knew there, there's two parts of his prayer here. And really, um, if you break it down into two parts, it's really very simply this. Part of it is confession. Part of it is petition. That's a good, that's a good um, model to always use. You know, whenever you have your own prayer, keep, you know, confess your sins to God, uh, to one another. Keep a short account with God because sin will always mess you over, you know. So get rid of it as quick as possible. Daniel knew that, that Israel needed forgiveness for rebelling against God, and that's what got him in the mess. So he dealt with that through confession, and then he also went into petition, which is, and he was very bold in his petition, as we'll see here, and he asked God to move. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. And so we have to come humbly. That's the way Daniel did. And he confessed his sins. But then he was very bold in his petition. So, you know, those two elements are, um, are really good elements um, to always include in your prayer. And uh, as Daniel, uh, again, searched the scriptures and he kind of understood what God wanted to do. You might want to write down another reference. I'm not going to turn there, but First Chronicles 12, 32, it talks about the sons of Issachar who understood the times and knew what, what Israel should do. And so that, Daniel's like that too. When you get in the word and you seek God in the midst of society, you will be a person who can understand the times and know what you should do and know what Israel should do, know what the church should do. And then, of course, all we need to do is act on that. And so Daniel knew what to do, and he goes into this prayer here. And, um, of course, we read through it, you know. And actually, verses 3 through 14 are confession. Verses 3 to 14 are all about, you know, confession. And he talks about how they didn't listen, you know, um, which there again, it goes back to, um, uh, you know, back to the word, listening to the Holy Spirit, 
you know, taking enough time to hear from God. And we'll see when we get to the 77s how in many ways it's, it's, it's a repaying back of, of the Sabbaths that they didn't keep, you know. So um, <clears throat> it's important to take enough time to listen to God, hear God. And he goes through this whole thing and said, you know, they didn't listen, they rebelled, didn't listen to the prophets, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, uh, asked for forgiveness for that. Acknowledged, I, I like in verse 9, you know, he, he acknowledged that the Lord our God is merciful. And um, so we need to humble ourselves, you know, when we sin before God, but you don't want to just stay down on the mully grubs, beat yourself, you know. Um, any of you ever seen the Hindus over in India? Here's a, here's a prime example of how religiosity will cause you to get stuck in the mud. But the Hindus over in India, they actually have put flesh hooks in their back and pull these carts to their gods. And they think that somehow by doing that, they will gain the favor of the gods. You know, well, you, you, you don't conquer sin by just beating yourself, you know. Sin is conquered by true humility, true repentance, you know, turning away from it, turning to God, receiving forgiveness, and then, not stopping there, but then going on and do something positive in faith. God's not just interested in you getting cleansed. He's interested in you becoming what he wants you to be and doing something that will make a difference in the world. So, but Daniel, he, you know, he starts off here with confession, works, which works in verses 3 to 14. And he, notice a couple things there. He identified with Israel's sins. You know, we can't, like in America, we can't just say, well, it was our forefathers that did slavery, you know, or it wasn't me that did anything, you know. I mean, we all, you know, have to take responsibility, for instance, for things that America's done wrong. And Daniel took responsibility, took personal responsibility for his nation, even though he personally probably wasn't involved in a lot of things, you know. He, he's been pretty faithful to God. But um, we should stand, an intercessor is one who stands in the gap, an intercessor is one who bears the burdens of others. So when we are illuminated by God, we should, we, uh, for America, all right, God wants us to stand in the gap for America, you know, believe him for the cleansing of our nation and repent for our nation and things like that because I, I don't believe God is done with America. I think he wants to continue to use America. And, uh, but Daniel took personal responsibility. How many of you know it's hard to get anybody in our society today to take personal responsibility for anything? <laughs> you know, I am the victim. <laughs> I am, I, I am never the perpetrator. <laughs> you know, I'm the victim, you know? And, um, so, but Daniel, that's not the, that's not God's way. You know, uh, Daniel took personal responsibility as part of his nation, you know, and he humbled himself. And then he, then in verses 15 to 19, um, you know, he made petition. And uh, before I go there, though, a couple words you might want to circle are um, in, um, uh, you know, verse 6, it says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, verse 5, uh, we have turned away from your commands and laws. Once again, everything is, you know, God's ways are revealed to us in the word. And then down in verse um, uh, verse 7, it says, in all the countries where you have scattered us. You might want to circle the word scattered. The Jewish people and Israel was scattered everywhere, you know, and that's exactly what the Lord said would happen if they didn't, you know, obey him. And, of course, it's just been recently that Israel has once again become um, a nation. And then... Uh, <clears throat> You know, in verse uh, 12, it says, under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. It almost seems like 
you know, they got harsher treatment. And, uh, but that, in many ways, that's true, because the Bible says, unto whom much is given, much is required. So Israel had a great revelation of God, and they should have done better, you know, with it. And uh, so, therefore, they, they uh, you know, paid a little, little higher price for it. But uh, in verse 14, too, um, I want to draw your attention to one other thing. It says, the Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us. Uh, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. And so it's interesting there. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us. And um, I did a thing. Uh, well, let's talk even just for just one second about the recent tsunami. Uh, are, are a lot of you aware of the fact that where the hardest hit area of that tsunami hit, it is one of the uh, strongest concentrations of Islam in um, the Indonesian area. And um, so, you know, I mean, a lot of people just say, and I'm not saying every natural disaster that happens is a direct act of God. I don't think it is, you know, because we live in a fallen world and there is weather and stuff like that. But we also need to be sensitive to the Spirit and sometimes ask ourselves, is God speaking through something? There was no question he was speaking to Israel here. You know, they had been scattered and they were, had been judged because of their disobedience to God. But um, even 9-11, what happened in America, I think that was a little bit of a wake-up call for us, you know, saying, hey, you know, um, maybe you need to think about um, whether you're, what your relationship with God is like, you know, because maybe you've gotten a little vulnerable. And so, you know, I mean, those are good things to think about. And so, obviously, the Lord had his hand in this situation here. And I'm not saying every single, you know, you don't want to get spooky about every little thing. But also, we do need to understand that um, God can be speaking in certain situations. Okay, then petition is verses 15 to 19. And uh, I want you to notice how he gets on, he does, you know, he asks God to turn away from his anger in verse 16. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city. And he just, he just asks him to forgive, you know, and he asks him to turn away um, uh, his anger. And uh, it says, the iniquities our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Sin will always take you down. It'll never build you up. It's amazing. People somehow believe that somehow if they... Can, they, they, they think they can fool God or something, you know, that somehow they can get ahead by sin. Sin will always take you down, not take you up. And Jerusalem had become an object of scorn. And, of course, any time that the body of Christ or Israel or anybody doesn't obey God, then we become an object of scorn instead of an object of blessing or help. But yet, even though that was true at the time, Daniel was very bold in his prayers, and he said, Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. And this is cool here. Watch this. For your sake, O Lord. <laughs> Not for my sake. He's appealing, he's appealing to God's reputation. For your sake, Lord. <laughs> I, I think it's really, you know, and that's a bold kind of a way to pray. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and here open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. Look where, look where we're at, Lord. Please help us. You know, is kind of what he's praying. And um, then he's, he's very still, you know, he's humble. He says, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. And um, look at 19. I want you to see how he prays with some passion here. Don't let your, when you're praying for something, 
and you're looking for God to move in your life or your family or the church or our nation, we just can't pray little Marvin Milktoast prayers. Sometimes we have to put some feeling in it, some passion, you know. And um, uh, God wants us to have convictions. And he wants us to um, stand in those convictions, you know, and be willing to, to um, uh, be bold. What does Proverbs say? The righteous are bold as a lion. You guys knew that, right? Okay, all right. Verse 19. Oh, Lord, listen. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear and act. And then he says it again, for your sake, oh my God, do not delay. Now watch this, because your city and your people bear your name. So he's appealing to God, you know, about his name. He said, Lord, you know, man, look who it. Okay, you've punished us, Lord, and, you know, uh, we ask you to forgive us. Please, you know, give us another chance. Help us here. And so it's a very faith-filled, confident, bold-type praying, you know. And um, I think that is a good way uh, to pray. Don't be timid. You know, if you're wanting God to do something and you're serious about it and, you know, you're going to walk with him in that, then pray boldly, okay? So that was, um, that was Daniel's prayer, and he, he saw <clears throat> that, um, uh, you know, God had decreed that they would um, have 70 years, and then, then he would um, uh, rebuild Jerusalem. You know, although, let me say this, you know, even though all this time, remember how, you know, Israel was, here we have Israel, Okay, and then we have the times of the Gentiles, which is mentioned in Luke 21. And in, in the book of Daniel, it sees world powers, you know. But even though uh, God has ordained, you know, here that, that uh, he's going to restore Jerusalem, um, it's not a restoration in the sense that we're going to have where he really, you know, calls Israel back to the land and deals with them in the end times. There's, uh, he's going to do some very powerful things in Israel in the end times. So Israel kind of went in and out of various states of obedience and blessing and judgment, you know, throughout the years. And, and he did decree that they would be free from that Babylonian um, captivity, you know, after 70 years. But uh, as you know, we'll talk about it here in a second, uh, in A.D. 70, after Jesus has already come, Jerusalem was destroyed again, you know. So they never totally, the, the Jews never totally came out of, of these Gentile powers and, and, and won't, still won't, until God deals with them again in the end times, okay? And we're going to talk about that. But, uh, but nevertheless, you know, Daniel was very encouraged um, when, when he read that in Jeremiah, and I'm sure that's why he prayed with the, uh, with the fervor that he prayed. I want you to notice, too, that he fasted, you know. Um, that can be something, as the Lord leads, that can add a uh, spiritual dimension to your prayers and uh, when you're really seeking God, you know, hot and heavy about something and, and uh, you just have to be led by, by the Holy Spirit in that. But what it does really, shut my phone off, what it does is, um, you know, it just, intensifies it's not a it's not like you're gonna earn brownie points what it does is by kind of shutting down some things in the natural realm it allows your spirit to kind of flow out to God in a, in a little different way okay um, so uh, let me see if there's anything I, I, if you want to uh, 
in the, in the petition section, which is verses 15 to 19, verses 15 and 16, he asks God to remove the negative, which is his wrath. Verses 17 to 19 is where he asks God to do the positive, all right, which is where he appeals even to the name of the Lord. All right, now, moving on here to, to uh, and of course, Daniel is praying about his people here. And he's seeking God. He gets even a, he gets even a, a bigger answer, I think, than he expected. And, of course, we know today that this has been recorded for us in the book of Daniel. And the answer that, 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 that was actually given to him by God not only related to his people right then, but it also related, God gave him a prophetic picture of Israel all the way up to the time of the end, you know, and um, so that's pretty awesome, you know. And uh, Daniel was a man after God's heart, you know, and he, he just really sought God. He's a great example for us. And God, you know, in his sovereignty, chose Daniel to receive a lot of prophetic revelation, and, and it's recorded for us in this book. And so let's pick it up here in verse 20. He said, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, the sin of my people Israel, while I was still in prayer and... Uh, you know, again, we want to emphasize the importance of, of seeking God. God can give you wisdom for your family. You know, we're, we're looking here at prophecy at the end time, but he can also bless you with wisdom for your family and your life just by, by praying and seeking him. Gabriel, who is an archangel, okay, the man I had seen in the earlier vision came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, it's interesting that Daniel should mention about the evening sacrifice. For 66 years, they had had no sacrifice. And, but yet Daniel is still using terminology out of what things would be like or should be like if they were serving God. So they had, there was two major times, you can read about it in Exodus and Numbers especially, that God asked for sacrifices. And of course, they were a precursor to the blood of Christ, but they were in the morning and the evening. And so Daniel just says very naturally about the time of the evening sacrifice. They weren't having evening sacrifices, but he just was so used to what should be you know, that he um, used that terminology about the time of the evening sacrifice. And so a good lesson we can learn there, you know, everything has changed. Remember the old ways. Remember the ancient paths that God has given you that work, you know. And uh, so if ever, if ever you were in captivity, you know, someplace, you know, uh, you know, go back and meditate on a scripture because you know scripture is going to help you. So, you know, Daniel just, he always talked in terms of, of um, uh, you know, uh, how things should be, even though they hadn't had sacrifices for over 66 years. And, uh, but an interesting thing that is also a little bit prophetic here, when we get a little bit further on here, is there's a good chance that during what we're going to call Daniel's 70th week, that there will actually be a restoration in Israel of their sacrificial system again, as well as some sort of, you know, we don't know exactly what, but some sort of even rebuilding of their temple system. Because you have to understand, they don't at this point yet nationally over in Israel have any kind of a revelation of Jesus as Messiah. You know, they're still God's people under the old covenant. That's all they know unless, unless um, individually, of course, there are many Jews that have received Christ. But as a nation, you know, and plus it's stated in the word, 
you know, there is uh, a good chance there that they will restore and the uh, whole, whole sacrificial system and, uh, and rebuild the temple. And so it's just kind of interesting that he talks about there at the time of the evening sacrifice. I think it has to do with Daniel's commitment to what should be. It also probably has a prophetic overtone. And uh, it said, and remember, Daniel, too, prayed three times a day. So probably he prayed at the time of the morning sacrifice, the time of the evening sacrifice, and then he also prayed at lunch. So he was a praying dude. You know, he, uh, he just, you know, he had a heart after God. And um, um, God wants us to be that way, too. You know, you, you may not be able to take three different times a day to pray, but let him give you, you know, your, your plan. All right. Okay, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. You know, when you obey God, it does bring blessing. Why was Daniel highly esteemed? Because he obeyed God. You, obedience brings blessing. You ought to write that down. It just always does, you know. We don't get to heaven because of our works. But for somebody to say, this is why I am so, I don't know why I get off of this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I just feel like saying it. This is why I am so adamantly opposed to the once saved, always saved doctrine. Because what it does, it puts everything on the sovereignty of God, takes everything away from the free will of man. And the moment you accept Christ, then you can follow the devil and do whatever you want and you'll still get to heaven. That is a bunch of, I'll just say what it is. It's religious garbage. You know, so now. Once you're saved, I have to tell you, it's very hard to get lost. Because you know why? The love and the power of God is in you. You know that once you're saved, you'll never make a good sinner again? <laughs> you're ruined for life, you know, because you know Christ. <laughs> so, you know, it's very powerful to know Christ. But to say that somebody could never turn away from that is just stupid. Because it takes away the free will of man. How did I get off on that? I don't know how I got off of that. What was I talking about? I was talking about, um, oh, highly esteemed. Daniel was highly esteemed. So therefore, even though we don't go to heaven based on our own works, and our righteousness is only the righteousness of Christ, there are obedient Christians and there are disobedient Christians. Can you say amen to that? You know. So Daniel was highly esteemed, and obedience will always bring blessing. Now, God, a lot of times, just bless you and do good things in your life because of his grace and his mercy. So it's not like it's only when you do. I mean, is the only time you ever do good to your kids when they're perfect or obey? No. But if they do fully obey and really show some responsibility, you bless them even more, right? <laughs> so it's kind of like that. So Daniel was highly esteemed, and the angel here says, I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. And here he goes into this very interesting prophecy. Seventy sevens are determined for your people and your holy city. Now, notice here, this has nothing to do yet with the church age. He's talking about Israel here, your people and the holy city. This is pre-church age. And so we have to understand the context of this prophecy here, you know, um, it's for your people and your holy city to do six things, all right? And you, you might want to write these six things down because they're significant, you know? And this is a whole lot more than Daniel asked for. He's just praying to get Jerusalem rebuilt, you know, in four more years, you know? That's all he's praying about, for God to help his people. And God ends up giving him a prophetic vision all the way to the end times, any of you guys ever had that happen to you? You start praying about something and God gives you more than you prayed for? 
<laughs> I've had that happen to me, you know. <laughs> Lord, you know, we like, what do you want to, you know, we, we just, we believe you want to move here at Victory Church. You know, he said, okay, build a youth building and build a, day, build a daycare center. And you go, ah! <laughs> you know, sometimes he gives you more than you ask for. But, and that happened to Daniel here, you know. And, and so six things. One is to finish transgression, okay? And uh, these here, we'll see some examples of, of several double fulfillments here. To finish transgression, uh, to put an end to sin. <laughs> Anybody think that'll happen before the end times? <laughs> so this is an end time prophecy. To put an end to sin. Uh, yeah. Okay, what's the next one? To atone for wickedness. Okay, four is uh, bringing everlasting righteousness. Okay, and he, I, you know, if you think about it, Daniel, who knows nothing about Christ at this point, I mean, these all sound pretty good, you know. He, he, if you thought, talk about doing this for his people, it sounds pretty good. Okay, to seal up vision and prophecy... In other words, to fulfill it and make it where it's no longer necessary. Okay, and then number six is, yeah, to anoint the most holy. Okay. And uh, so those six things, you know, is what the... Gabriel says is going to take 70 sevens. Now, um, you have to understand the Hebrews, I mean, first of all, this is not, you know, we, we would ask ourselves, the literal Hebrew says 70 weeks, but a week is just a seven. So 70 sevens, and, you know, every, pretty much Bible commentators are agreed that these are seven, that the sevens represent seven years. Because, first of all, it can't be days, because... Uh, could you imagine this kind of thing happening in, in 490 days? Not hardly. It's also not weeks because that would be like 19 and a half years. And, you know, Jesus was not even here in 19 and a half years, which obviously these things are going to relate to Christ. So just like you and I, we, we come from a Roman system and we, we work mainly in tens. And so we, we use phrase like decades in seven decades, three decades ago, Two decades ago, the Hebrews thought in sevens. A week was seven days. Every um, seven years, they had a Sabbath where the ground was supposed to rest. Uh, every, four, every seven sevens was the year of Jubilee. So they thought in sevens. So 70 sevens is 70 seven-year periods. And we're really dealing in years here because the prophet Jeremiah's prophecy was 70 years. And, of course, common sense shows us that it wouldn't even fit unless it's years. Okay? So a seven represents a period of seven years, which is 490 years. So basically, Gabriel shows up here and says, Hey, Daniel, you know, 
Seventy-sevens, or 490 years, are determined for your people to do the following six things. Okay? And we know that all the good things God does is, is based on Christ. But also, again, he's talking about Israel here. Not so much the church. Although... Prophetically, these certainly apply to the church. But things like to finish transgression, to end the sin of the Jewish people to where they fully obey God, that, you know, I mean, you can sort of say to finish transgression, that has a fulfillment in Christ and then he conquered sin. But yet for the Jewish people to really finish all transgression, that's not going to happen until God deals with them in the end times. All right? Uh, to put an end to sin. Again, we know that that, and what's Daniel doing here? He's praying and repenting for the sin of his people. So to put an end to sin, we know really it's Christ, you know, the anointed one who really puts an end to sin because he deals with sin. But yet to put an end to sin in Israel, again, not going to happen until. Has it happened now? No. So it's not going to happen until God deals with Israel once again in the end times. And we'll see a little more about that. All right. To atone for wickedness. Again, you know, the whole idea of, you know, Daniel might have wondered what this might mean to atone for wickedness. He might have been thinking of sacrifices, but we know prophetically, of course, who, who is the true atonement? It's Christ. And what is it that Israel's going to discover in the very end times? They're going to discover, guess what? Who their true Messiah really is, you know? And, um, they, they all from the time, you know, that they turned away, they hadn't figured that out yet. Okay, to bring in everlasting righteousness. I mean, we could apply this spiritually to the sense that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, but to bring in everlasting righteousness, really, when is that going to happen? That's going to happen when Jesus comes back a second time and rules and reigns from Jerusalem and brings us into the millennium, you know? So really, this has its fulfillment again in the very end times when God deals with Israel. To seal up vision and prophecy. When are we going to... I always get a kick out of people that, 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 that go to 1 Corinthians 13 and say that tongues is not for today, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, they don't read the whole chapter and don't read it in context. But if you read that, it says knowledge will pass away, prophecy, you know, pass away and all that. Uh, tongues will cease, you know. And um, then it says when. It says when the perfect has come. And it says, now we see in a glass darkly, but then we see face to face. To me, that's very simply, if you use common sense and just leave the, leave the religious twisting doctrine out of it, to me, that's when Jesus comes back. That's when you see face to face. And when you see face to face, you don't need prophecy. You don't need vision anymore. You don't need any of that because you are there. You are there. It's right in front of you. You don't need any more vision or prophecy. So even, even though this, this cannot be fulfilled by the first coming of Christ, and it certainly can't be fulfilled in four years, you know. So, I mean, so this could only happen when Christ has returned for the second time. Because even after Christ came the first time, he gave us the book of Revelation, which is full of vision and prophecy. Okay, and then to anoint the most holy, and again, that has reference to, if you skip down to verse 25, it says, no one understand from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. Okay, 
there will be seven sevens. So we're talking here about an anointed ruler and to anoint the most. Jesus the first time did not come as a ruler. He came as a savior. So again, we're talking about his second coming here. So he's saying, Daniel, there's 490 years or 77s determined until all these awesome things are going to happen for your people. But we're going to see here that you have to understand how those 490 years actually work. Prophetically, we have to understand how they work. So let's keep reading here. So no one understand from the issuing, I'm in verse 25, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Now, how many sevens is that? 69, right? It's not 70. It's 69 sevens. Now, why does he break it up like that? Well, first of all, and by the way, that decree to rebuild Jerusalem is, uh, the story is recorded in the book of Nehemiah, but actually that decree was, um, let me give you that date, 444 B.C., it's described in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, by our text Xerxes. And um, that was when the decree was made to rebuild Jerusalem. Okay? So 77 or 69 sevens from that is when um, the uh, anointed one, the ruler, comes. And then uh, let, let's, um, let's talk about the seven sevens. That is how long it took for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. In Jeremiah's prophecy. So, and actually, Jerusalem was rebuilt from 444 to 395. 49 years it took, okay, to completely rebuild Jerusalem. And uh, that took place there under Artaxerxes. Then, the 62 sevens, what is that? That's 434 more years and... Um, it says there, uh, talking about Jerusalem, will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, you know the story of Sanballat and all that. Now, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. So after the first 49 years to get Jerusalem rebuilt, that was probably encouraging to Daniel to know that, but God's given him a whole lot more than he even asked for. He's, he's given him revelation that, is helping us today. So 434 more years until Messiah is cut off. And that is from AD, I mean, that's from 444 BC to AD 33, okay, is exactly 483 years, Jewish years now, of 360 day years. Okay? And if you start reading the book of Revelation, when it talks about times, times, and half a time, or three and a half years, it says 1,260 days. Divide that by three and a half, and you get 300. Jewish people have 360-day years. They don't have that dumb leap year like we have. <laughs> Gregorian calendars have 365-day years. So this 490 years is calculated in the Jewish mind of 360-day years. All right. If you do it by the Gregorian calendar, instead of 483 years, it turns out about 476. But we need to do it the way the prophets wrote it, and um, that it's written with uh, with the Jewish uh, type calendar in mind. So, and this is exactly—I mean, talk about prophecy being fulfilled. 
This is exactly the time that it took. 483 years, calculated 360-day years, from the time that the decree went out from Artaxerxes, it was exactly 483 years to Jesus being crucified. Think about that. This was written hundreds of years before that. You know, and Jesus, Jesus even told the Jews at different times, he said, you really should know what's going on. You know, he said, you're not recognizing the times and the seasons. If they had, if they had at all, were reading their prophets or reading their scriptures, they would have, they would have known. And the anointed one, of course, is the Messiah. You know, and they, the Jewish mindset was that, that the Messiah would come and just deliver Israel politically, you know, and forgive them and bless them again. And they just didn't. You know, the Jewish mindset had trouble getting a hold of, but we probably would have too, the fact that Messiah had to first come as a suffering savior before a conquering king. And that's because sin, the whole purpose of the sacrificial system was to point the picture to Christ, you know. And um, here it says the anointed one will be cut off. I mean, anybody who's reading the scriptures honestly, they would have had to say, what does that mean? What does that mean, you know? And when Jesus came on the scene, you know, there was, there was people that knew what, was, knew what was happening. Anna and Simeon, they came into the temple, picked up the Savior, you know. You know, so people that were in the Word of God, listening to the Holy Spirit, they were the ones that, that knew what was happening. It was the religious ones in their own proud religious system, too unbending to change their stupid doctrine to revelation of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that wouldn't change. So... But so, so here it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's perfect, you know, 483 years exactly to the crucifixion of Christ. And it says, and that's after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. To have nothing there is a picture of Jesus in general now being rejected by Israel, which really, with the exception of the common people, you know, the official religious leaders did reject him. And so he will have nothing. And um, so, but we've only covered now. How many sevens have we covered? 69. Where's the other seven? It's missing. <laughs> so let's get to it. Now, look at the, look, let's go on here a little bit. The people, this is a good, this is a good phrase here too. The people, after, after Jesus is cut off, it says the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, that's a prophecy of what happened in A.D. 70 when Titus destroyed Jerusalem. And you remember Jesus prophesied this in Matthew 24. He said, not one stone will be left upon another. You know, and he, he said, and the disciples said, Lord, man, have you seen the temple and the beautiful buildings? And Jesus said, I want you to know not one stone will be left upon another. I, I love beautiful buildings, and, and, and of course, we're kind of practical around here, you know, and we like things pretty and right, but how many of you know it's not the buildings that make a successful church, it's the people in it? <laughs> and so Jesus said, not one stone's gonna be like, he, it might look impressive, but it isn't gonna last. And so, you know, this was a prophecy that, that um, and again, it had to do with their rejection of the Messiah, but the people, uh, this is an interesting phrase, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city. Now, who was it that destroyed the city in A.D. 70? It was Titus, who was what? A Roman. The people of the ruler who will come. 
Now, if you remember our picture of the four kingdoms here, it's out of Rome, which is iron, and it's the beast with the iron teeth. It's out of this kingdom, you know, that doesn't stick together very well in the last days. It's out of there that the little horn came up. Okay? So we know that's basically over there in Europe where Antichrist is going to rise from. And it's interesting that, 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 um, you know, Gabriel said here, he said, um, the people of the ruler who will come. So what people is that? That's the people of Rome. It's that, again, that's the final Gentile power, you know, the last of the great Gentile kingdoms. After that, nothing sticks together too well, and we can see that around the world today. But uh, the people of the ruler who will come. So he, here, here Gabriel again acknowledge, acknowledges a coming ruler who we've already seen in the last two chapters when we looked at the little horn. Now, it says the end will come like a flood. And, and Daniel is, I'm sure, not very happy about this part. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. So he's talking about here, he hasn't even got to the last seven yet. He gets to that in the next place. So he's talking about a period of time here after the anointed one is cut off where, you know, war and desolations have been decreed. And he's really talking about the Jewish people. How many of you know the Jewish people up until 1949 when they became a nation again, which is just the beginning of what God's going to do with them in the end times. But they've, how many of you know they have suffered a lot? There's been wars. They've been scattered. I mean, we know the whole thing of the Holocaust, you know. And the Jewish people have suffered tremendously. And um, part of it, of course, is their own disobedience. Part of it is that Satan hates them because Jesus was a Jew, and they're the nation that God chose to bring his son out of. And they still have a plan, and God's not done with them. We're getting ready to look at the 70th seven. God is not done with Israel. But there's this, you know, the reason that he hasn't come to the 70th, the last seven yet, the one seven, is that you got this whole thing here of the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city. You know, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. Desolations have been decreed. He's talking about, again, what's happening in Israel. And there's this time break from the time that Messiah was cut off until um, this final seven. And during that gap, what is that? What was born right after Messiah was cut off that God is now using to uh, make Israel jealous and will also have a part in helping encourage Israel to come back to Christ? What, who is that? The church. It's the church age. That's, that's, the, that's the gap here, folks, between the 69th seven and the 70th seven. It's the church age. You know, God's taking a little break. Before he deals with Israel again. And, he, and, and, and so because Israel, you read Romans 9 through 11, and because out of Israel falling away, the natural branches, we the wild branches, the Gentiles, have a chance to be grafted in. The church age. And so that's what's going on right now. But uh, the times of the Gentiles are drawing to a close. We're getting down here to this, to this bottom of these feet here. And, you know, we're not, we're not too far away from coming into the 70th seven. And um, uh, I like to call the 77 just, and, and other Bible scholars call it this, different people call it different things, but um, I like to just call it Daniel's 70th week. 
And uh, some people really say that the whole 70th week is the tribulation. I don't really believe that because really it's, I mean, there's going to be some exciting things going on during this whole time. But, um, we'll, you know, really without going, by the way, I did, I, I, we've been working on our calendar around here. I am, I did, I did decide I am going to go ahead and do the book of Revelation and I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it starting September. It'll be right after the summer right after this summer, and it's going to probably last 10 weeks, 12 weeks, okay? So I'm going to do it in the fall. And during the summer, Pastor Terry and Pastor Patty are doing a series on baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, power gifts, speaking gifts, revelation gifts. It's going to be so important that people, you have to walk in character, but also you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people in the body of Christ still don't understand that. And so um, they're going to do a series on that in the summer, July, I think. And then come in September, uh, I'm going to do Revelation. We're going to be doing a thing in the fall called 40 Days of Purpose to really help people grow in the Lord and become all God wants them to be. It's going to have some cool things. So I may take a few, there, there may be a few weeks that I'll break in there to make it all happen. But uh, anyway, I am going to do it in, in September. But this final seven, look at, look at verse 27. We'll wrap it up here. I obviously will only do chapter nine tonight. Okay, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Now, who is he? It's the ruler that will come. It's the ruler that will come. So at some point, there will be a ruler, and we may not be able to even recognize him for Antichrist at that point. But there will be a ruler, and Israel will probably be in a situation where they need some help, you know, and it says he will confirm a covenant with the many. Who is the many? It's Israel. That's what this whole vision is about. And he will confirm a covenant. Then we will enter into Daniel's 70th week where God will once again begin to put his focus on Israel. It's not that the church won't be active and, and the, church, the church will be doing a lot of things, but he will once again be working with his nation of Israel. And so this ruler will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Now watch this. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So it looks like by the time he confirms this covenant with Israel that begins Daniel's 70th week, you know, which will fulfill this prophecy, that Israel either has already started their sacrificial system up again or very shortly after that they do because by the time we get to the middle of Daniel's 70th week, he's breaking the covenant and he's ending their sacrifice. So this can't be fulfilled unless Israel has reinstituted their sacrificial system. And very likely, other scriptures, we don't have time to go tonight, rebuilt some form of the temple. So very, and you know... <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, the, 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 the demon of Allah in Islam is not just going to sit back and let this happen. And there's going to be a lot of spiritual things going on in the world during this time. But it's going to happen. You know, God has already brought Israel back into their land, and they are already a nation. I mean, that, if you think about that, I think we talked about this one in the first chapter. That's a miracle. There's no other nation on the face of the earth that's ever been scattered for that long and come back and become a nation again. It's a miracle, you know? And so they've already become a nation, and, um, but, of course, it's very, um, um, very uh, you know, 
tumultuous over there. But anyway, so in the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the, this is a very compressed view of a lot that happens in Revelation, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So God's going to destroy him. But a lot of things are going to happen here. I mean, this whole seven-year period that we read in two verses, you know, two-thirds of the book of Revelation talks about. And so he's, that abomination that causes desolation, he'll defile the temple, and Jesus quote, talked about that. He's a, he, Jesus is quoting out of Daniel, Daniel 9 in Matthew 24. And uh, basically the end of chapter 9, the Lord's saying he won't get away with it, but he's going to do it. And so... Um, Antichrist is not going to have any revealing whatsoever until the beginning of Daniel's 70th week when he makes a covenant with Israel. Okay? So there's no, you know, uh, remember what we read last week about that we are not going anywhere until the man of sin is revealed? So there's absolutely, I mean, you and I are going to go into the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. Because he's not revealed till he does that. And I'm, a, you know, well, there, there could be other treaties that are made. I'm not sure we'll fully recognize it, you know, right away. We just have to see. You know, I, I don't know how it's going to develop. One thing you can be watching for, though, of course, is the movement toward the restoration of the sacrificial system in Israel. That's a sign that, you know, we're moving toward God dealing with Israel once again. And again, let me stress the fact they are his covenant people. They're, they're, they're his chosen nation doesn't mean they're more holy or more righteous. It's back to his sovereignty in that. They're his chosen nation, and he is going to reveal to Israel that Jesus is their true Messiah. He's going to do that, okay? And he'll deal with them as a nation. And so in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, there will be no doubt who Antichrist is because he will break that covenant with Israel. He'll defile the temple, and there's many other things that are going on Uh, at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. But there's no question that by the middle of Daniel's 70th week, which really I believe, and we'll talk about this more when I do Revelation, I really believe is the beginning of what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. You know, So from that point on, I would say we are fair game to be removed. Uh, you know, Because in the very end... Uh, the church will be gone when God does finish his final dealings with Israel. And, uh, but he, and if you, I'll just give you a little, you know, it talks about him protecting the Jewish people, you know, in, in the very end. But um, a lot of people, just to give you a little sneak preview here, a lot of people believe in what is called a midweek rapture, that right when the Antichrist breaks that covenant, that's when the church is taken out. Other people believe in what's called a pre-wrath rapture, which has us here just a little bit longer. But I will just say this. There's no way that the church is going out prior to Daniel's 70th week. It's just not going to happen. And I do believe that God will leave us here long enough where we will be required to have to rise to the challenge of, and we'll see a little more of this in chapters 11 and 12, rise to the challenge of being the church he wants us to be. I don't believe God's going to take a defeated church out. You know, I believe that he's going to get us ready to go. And um, so, 
Sometime during the seven weeks, here, here's one thing you can be sure. I forget the reference. It's either in First or Second Thessalonians, but it says God has not appointed us to wrath. And in the book of Revelation, you see seven trumpets, seven seals, and seven bowls. When you get to the bowls, I'll guarantee you we're gone, because they are outpourings of God's wrath. And um, people can still be saved during that time if they will choose not to take the mark of the beast and repent. They can still be saved even after you and I are gone. But if they do choose to take the mark of the beast during that time, they have sealed their eternal fate. So, very interesting, huh? <laughs> and of course, the book of Revelation has 22 chapters that deals with this, you know, because you got to remember, this is old covenant. This is Daniel getting a revelation from Gabriel. Now Jesus has come. You and I are in the church age, and now we have the book of Revelation, which just expands on this whole thing a tremendous amount. But that's for later. <laughs> yes. As a nation, as a because you have to understand the Jewish her the Jewish heritage, all they know as Jews, if you go back to true Judaism, okay, is the temple and the sacrifices, and they're waiting for Messiah. So they really, they don't. I mean, most of them reject Jesus as being any kind of Messiah for them, and so therefore they live under the old covenant. The, the, the Orthodox Jews, they, that's, that's where they, I mean, and of course the Wailing Wall, where they go and pray, they would, you know, they would love to have. And of course we know right now that on top of the, uh, uh, where the, the old temple site is the Dome of the Rock, you know, and, and what is that, Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Golden Dome Mosque, is sitting right on top of it. So I know what you're going to ask me is, how is the temple going to be rebuilt? How is all that going to happen? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I have no idea how it's all going to happen, you know. And the Bible, of course, doesn't tell us exactly how it's going to happen. It just sort of tells us what will happen, you know. So, yes. Yeah, I've read some of those articles, and, you know, it's hard to say which ones are true and which ones are aren't, but, but um, uh, somehow we know that the sacrificial system will have to be restored for, for this prophecy to be fulfilled. And since God fulfilled the first coming one when, a, when Messiah was cut off, exactly accurately, I don't think he's going to miss this one. <laughs> the only question is, when will Dan Daniel's 70th week start? And again, the, the scripture doesn't really tell us exactly, but we do know that it'll involve a covenant with Israel from a, from a world ruler who will be on the rise. And um, who knows? You know, I mean, I was just reading on, on Excite on the internet tonight, uh, the new pope, you know, and uh, he was making some statements that he's going to try to do even more efforts to try to bring um, the Catholic Church together with other religions. And, you know, one of the other pictures in the, in the, of course, you know, he probably said that innocently, but there are, there is prophecy and pictures in the scripture of a one world false religion. And so, you know, 
we can in any kind of ecumenical thing. Of course, you can't you can't compromise the basic faith of the sacrificial death of Christ. I would hope he wouldn't, but you just don't know. So there is going to be a move in the end times for kind of a one world syncretistic religion, and Christians will probably be looked at as narrow. But uh, anyway, by, by the way, on this double fulfillment of prophecy, I don't have time. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the two witnesses. And uh, they are the end time final fulfillment of what was John the Baptist because it talks about Elijah coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, John the Baptist was the first fulfillment of that, but there's a greater fulfillment coming. And let me tell you something. When you read in the book of Revelation about those dudes, they're whacking some power. <laughs> They've got power to shut up the heavens, call down fire from heaven. I'm telling you, folks, it's going to get interesting. <laughs> you think the book of Acts is a great revival? You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> And so, you know, whether it will all come to pass in our lifetime, I don't know. I, I think it could, you know. It may not. Who knows, you know. But, I mean, even if it doesn't, we, we, these are things we need to know. It, it motivates you to live right and pass it on to your kids, etc. you know. So, all right. I'm going, I'm, you know, rattling on here. <laughs> uh, any other comments or questions before we close? Uh, okay, so next week, I don't know what I'll do. I will, we may, we may wrap it up next week, depending on how it all fits, or I may go two more week, uh, one more week after next week. We'll just see how it goes with chapters 10, 11, and 12. There is some very, um, in 11, there is some short fulfillment in the life of Daniel that we can go through a little more quickly, but we'll just, we'll just see how we go. But this is a very key chapter, chapter 9. It's a very key chapter on Daniel's attitude about serving God, and it's a very key chapter on, on end-time prophecy, and, and it's kind of a foundational. Uh, Revelation builds a lot off this chapter. Okay, did you get something out of it? <laughs> okay, God bless you. Have a good night.